Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 16th, 2016. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. You're getting the hang of doing this uh, speaking on recording devices thing, aren't you? <laughs> I used to say, I wanted to say, like, I'm being on the radio or something, but it's, is it really radio anymore? Yeah, it sounded like uh, some kind of unfrozen caveman lawyer there. <laughs> oh, good job, Scott. You're walking erect now. <laughs> oh, man. Got it in you. Can we ever get through a show where we don't quote some cheesy movie? I don't know. That, that, that was yeah, Saturday Night Live, so that's a cheesy TV show. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Joe, Joe Piscopo? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, um, Hartman. Hartman, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting old. I'm 46 now. My my brain doesn't work the way it used to. No, I don't know exactly when your brain actually did work, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I had actually gotten out of practice of uh, talking poker with people other than you. Yeah. Um, into a audio recording device, as you uh, so eloquently said. Um, you know, we used to do. I used to do the little Antonio Pinzari show every Monday. Mm-hmm. I used to love that, yep. and um, and then did a couple other shows on a regular basis. And then uh, people quit calling. Yeah, people said, "No, I don't need to talk to Scott anymore." Uh, but our good friends at All and Tilt Radio uh, sent me an email a couple weeks ago and said, "Hey, we'd love to have you on a guest. Uh, I might have to come and show." And I'm like, "I'm your man." And then I kind of, I kind of worried because I was out of practice, right? Yeah. You know, talking to you, I can just say whatever, mangle everything, and whatever. You know, and uh, our listeners here understand that I don't really know what I'm talking about anyhow, so they don't really care, right? Right. But when I'm on another uh, broadcast, now I gotta, you know, put suit and tie on and act all professional, right? Um, and it was kind of stressful, and I did it when I was out in uh, Albuquerque for the um, Antia Poker Tour. So I had a long day of work to then had to relax in the hotel room and, and get all my words correctly. And I think, in my opinion, and maybe. Um, our listeners will go listen to the show at uh, tinyurl.com slash ontiltantiup. I made that to make it easier for everyone. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the link on the recap. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think if they go there, I, I, I would be curious for feedback from folks on whether I actually did all right. Because I actually got off and I'm like, wow, I actually nailed it. I think I only <laughs> made up one or two words. <laughs> and I don't even remember what those two words were. So uh, one more reason for people to listen so they can let me know what two words I made up on that show. But, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I really appreciate Until Radio having us on. I got to talk about the Annie of Poker Tour course, our Annie of Cruises, because we just got off that great Alaskan cruise. And, of course, AnnieUpPokerRoom.com, um, our new online subscription site. And uh, ask good questions, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So if you want to know a little bit more than what we uh, wax on about here on the Annie Up Podcast, uh, go check them out. I would listen, but I hear your voice way too often. <laughs> but for those of you who only listen to them once a week, yeah, you might want to give it a listen. So I'll put the, I'll put the link do. in there. You need to put me through that mob informant 
uh, filter that they use for TV shows, right? Yes. <laughs> when you see this big 300-pound guy, and it sounds like, you know, Daffy Duck. And he's sitting in the black, you know, shade right. in the background or a big blue dot over his head. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. what you need to do. And then, yeah. then it's not like you're listening to me, but you're still getting the same content. I actually would appreciate that dark, you know, they, they make it like a bass you know, monotone voice. I'd actually appreciate that once in a while coming through my headset. But I, I uh, would hate to see more bass in your voice. <laughs> it, would, it would it would be like you know uh, one of those teenagers driving their trucks down the the neighborhood. <laughs> oh yeah, with the with the mufflers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Where your your windows are shattering, you look out there and they're just like you know rocking to their hip hop and stuff. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Hey, let's get to some real poker here. Yeah. Okay. You know, it seems like we're doing this every other day, though, doesn't it? I mean... Uh, but, you know, it's probably... Uh, every year is probably what it is. It feels more like every quarter. I, I I realize once it's, like, who the possible nominees are, and then it's finalists, and then it's... A tough, you know, But it just seems like we are always talking about the Hall of Fame nominees for poker. It just seems like we're always talking about them. Yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, and that's fine. Maybe because just time is flying by in our old age, and we really aren't doing it like once or twice a year. And it's because we talk about who actually gets in when they get in and all that. And we had the argument about what's the criteria. We do it every year, but every year they keep having these finalists, so we have to talk about them. Yep, and every year they keep limiting it to two, I think, right? Yeah, they say up to two. I just assume. Yeah, up to two, it says in the headline. Yeah, so it could be one. They might say, ah, you guys all suck. Only one of you is getting in. And really what we need to do in the middle of the show is just have uh, audio text links back to our previous show so people can hear our rage about the limiting it to up to two and all that so we don't have to keep doing it every time. Yeah. Right? yeah, I'll keep repeating ourselves. All right. All right. Doing doing stuff over and over again, being redundant. <laughs> um, but let me uh, let's do the, uh, the list this year, and then uh, I'll let you tell me who you want because I think this is a very difficult decision this year. Uh, all right. Uh, it's uh, Chris Bjorian. I always screw that up every Bjorn. year. Bjorn, just say Chris year. Bjorn. Every single year I screw it up. He's, he's been on the ballot since, you know, I've been in diapers. I, I know, just, just for that fact alone that you put him in so you can yeah. stop mangling his name. <laughs> Umberto Bredis, Todd Brunson, Elia Lezra, Bruno Petuzzi, Chris Moneymaker, Carlos Mortensen, Max Pescatori, Matt Savage, and David Devilfish. Juliet. Um, here's the deal. Now... Uh, the three new guys. Before you go on to that, say, yeah, there are three new guys this year, and then uh, six are returning from uh, last year, and then one, Umberto Brennis, is back after a break. After dropping off, yeah. Oh, the, the three new ones are Brunson, Elezra, and Moneymaker. Correct. It all depends on your slant on this. You know, are you going to say, I believe somebody who's done a lot for the game deserves to get into the Hall of Fame? Because no one has done more for the game than Chris Moneymaker in its current state. No right. one. Yes. And then no one has done more for the quality of the game than Matt Savage. Correct. So right there, boom, you have your two. If that's the way you think about fame, Hall of Fame, and contribution. Now, if it's playing ability, no one on this list, as far as I can tell, would surpass Ellie and Todd. Because they both have bracelets, they both have 50, 60 caches, whatever, tons of caches in the World Series and other tournaments, so they've proved that they can do it on that stage very easily. Now, granted, Todd only has one bracelet, but um, and Ellie, I think, has three, and they're in different disciplines, but 
they also play that the biggest game in the world all the time and make a living at it. So can those other say guys? That's also kind of hidden too, right? Yeah, we Again, don't really know. Perfect debate always is that tournament results are easily trackable. You know how well people do, how much money they make all that, but it's almost impossible to know how well a high-stakes cash game is player doing unless somebody's telling you how well they're doing. Exactly. And it's not these other guys don't play high-stakes cash, because they do, but we all know about Todd and Ellie and those guys all getting together and playing every freaking day. And it's like the amount of money that those guys... And Todd, I mean, you think about that 100,000, 200,000 game he was doing as part of the syndicate or whatever they call them. I mean, that that was just crazy. So, yeah, Hall of Fame... That stuff is lore right there. I mean, you'll never forget that if you read that book or learned of that story. I mean, so to me, for my two, Todd Brunson changed my poker life, you know, with the Stud 8 chapter. I love the game. I'm still not as good as, you know, people who are really good at it, who make a living at it or whatever, but I love the game and it made me think differently about poker. So he had a huge influence on my career. And like I said, he's the son of, of Doyle. And he's won bracelets. He plays in the biggest games in the world, and or a bracelet, and whatever. And Ellie the same way. Ellie, you know. And the thing about Ellie too is what he came from. You know, he was a Israeli fighter in the war, Lebanon. And now, you know, he comes over here because an incredibly successful businessman, then turns that into an incredible poker career. So, from fame standpoint, he's got a huge thing too. And it's just depends on where you come from. It's going to be tough for me to go against those two guys. Because I think of Hall of Fame as quality of your career playing, not popularity. You know, like in baseball, they had the Veterans Committee. Right, exactly. You know, so if, if there was a wing in this imaginary building of Poker Hall of Famers and had a wing of contributions to the game, I'd be voting for Savage and Moneymaker. If I'm saying I think the Hall of Fame is for your performance and day in and day out and what you do in this great game with the highest level of uh, capability, I'm going Todd and Ellie, and they deserve to be in. Not that these other guys don't, because they do. Carlos Mortensen won the the whole world title and has other bracelets, and Max Pescatore's got a bunch of bracelets now, and Bjorn, of course, all the caches and stuff. So all these guys are deserving, and eventually you think they're going to get in. But then again, you look at Brennis, who was off the list, didn't even make the list last year. Now he's back on it again. It's like maybe they won't get into the Hall of Fame someday because they're in danger of getting off the list and stuff. So well, we can only have two a year. I mean, in yeah. a year they seem to put forward at ten quality candidates. I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm trying to think back to when I've never when I've ever seen somebody not qualified to be on the list on the list, right? Yeah. So, it's weird because you, know, you said two out of ten every year, and there's obviously more people that are qualified to be on this list that aren't on it every year, right? Yeah, and that's what's unique about this list is this year is they inducted two last year, they added three to the list new this year, and got to bring Umberto Brennis back onto the list. So that's four spots for two spots gone. So that means two other people got booted off the list. Right. So it's like maybe these people won't actually get to the Hall of Fame. So I really don't know, but. I, I'm going to go with playing ability. I've always thought playing ability is why you're famous, not not because, you know what I mean? And, and then if they have a separate category for, you know. I mean, let's say you and I decide to do this magazine for 20 more years or something. Well, I mean, very few people have contributed to the information of poker than we have, more than we would have had. Well, we're not going to be in the Hall of Fame. We well, didn't, you know what yeah, I mean? I, well, you might because of all your fantastic uh, on-tilt radio performances. 
But really, I mean, we're not going in the Hall of Fame because why? Because we we contributed to the game as much as these other people from a different point of view. You know, if you're saying, well, this Matt Savage provided incredible leadership for the, you know, the TDA and for all these tournaments, and he's been on TV, and Moneymaker led the boom because of his inspirational story, and now he's an ambassador and plays a lot, and okay, so he deserves to be in, but okay, well, you know, the the guys who own Card Player and the guys now who we've been around for almost 10 years now, and we could be around for 30 years, and then we're not going to be in the Hall of Fame, so should you be able to be in the Hall of Fame for just contributions? I don't know. This is a, an interesting thing. It's not like the Hall of Fame's been around for 100 years like baseball where they decided, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, the game's well, changed so people. much. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I'm going with Todd and Ellie. I don't know who you're going with. Uh, I have no problem with that. Um, I, I And, in fact, I don't even actually know if I do are, so that's why I'll let you go first. Cause oh, okay. You, a bit more, uh, uh, I thought about it a lot. Yeah, I thought about it a lot last night. Yeah. So, um, a couple things I want to mention, since we're talking about Moneymaker, um, this is my problem with, with Moneymaker on this list, is that, one, I like the guy, he's a super nice guy, um, he certainly does a lot for poker, even beyond, you know, just starting the boom, um, very charitable and does other things, um, and has done pretty well in his career since then, so he's not a one-hit wonder, right? Yeah. Um, but when we're talking about him changing the face of poker, which... And I don't know if it's him. I think it was him winning the tournament that changed the face of poker. There would be around it that took that and made it change the face of poker. I don't think he personally did it, right? Yeah. So that's kind of my problem with uh, putting him in a Hall of Fame, especially on the first time he's on the ballot, um, when I, I think he just had a tremendous run and in the World Series at the right time with the right name and really spurred a bunch of other stuff, so I give him max credit for it, but I don't think he personally did it, right? Right. So that's why I, I don't think necessarily this year is, is his year. Um, and then the other problem I always have, I, I bring this up on every year we do it, is that you know poker is a worldwide game. And, you know, it seems to be very focused uh, in Vegas during the World Series and all this. So I do think uh, Americans have a leg up in getting into the Hall of Fame. And I don't necessarily think that's um, the fairest way of looking at it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so then the problem is, is that, you know, you're looking at some players on this list that are like poker heroes in their native land, right? Mm -hmm. And the people that done the most to, arguably, to promote the game in their particular country. So, you know, Chris Bjorn. Bjorn. Bjorn is <laughs> a top player in Sweden. Brennan's in Costa Rica. Bruno in Italy. Carlos in Spain. Uh, Max in Italy. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Bruno in France. Yes, I say, Bruno. Carlos in Spain. Uh, Max in Italy. <laughs> and then um, Devilfish in Great Britain. So they, they're all, like, icons in their particular country. So... If there was a British Poker Hall of Fame, and maybe there is, the Devilfish is an instant shoe-in, right? Right. Um, so if you if you think that's important, and I do, because I think poker is a worldwide game, and the more people bring in from the world to play it, the better the entire game of poker is, we do need to recognize the leaders in those particular countries. But now we've got, what, six or seven here I just mentioned, um, so who do you just? How do you decide which one of those uh, had the biggest effect? 
And then you have to compare that to the other folks on here that are, you know, not in that category. You know, the, the, the Brunsons and the Alezras and the Moneymakers and the Savages. So um, I think generally, if I remember back to our previous discussions, I usually like to pick one of these uh, foreign players and one of American every year, since I have to only pick two. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't really know where that is now. I, I guess I'm going to go with Mortensen because he's a world champ, and that should count for something, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I don't know after that. I don't know. I mean, my, my problem with Brunson, again, is that, well, he's kind of young. He's 47, so he's got some time to get in. Um, and, again, his, his contributions to the game are hidden. I mean, obviously, playing in that big game every day is, I think, the hardest thing to do. Um, so I give him credit for that. Um, I just don't think his tournament career is as impressive as some of these other folks because he spends more time. I mean, why, why play a lot more tournaments when you can play in this big game and make bank, right? I'm going to make the decision easy for you then. Right. <clears throat> it has to be Elio Lezer for you then. Okay. Because here's the deal. If you put those two on equal footing, Ellie has more bracelets, uh, maybe just as many caches, and he's older. And I think I also think that if if they play in the same game, the cash game, that those two cancel out, then you go to the tournament record, and he's got a better tournament gotcha. record. So, I, and I think that Ellie's tournament record holds up against everybody on this list. So I can give you, I think Ellie would be the vote you'd make if you did it that way. All right. Well, I guess I'm going with Ellie and Carlos. All right. I think, final, I, think Ellie, I think Ellie's Lock getting it. in. <laughs> you don't want to phone a friend? I think Ellie's getting in. I, I think he is. I, I would like to see... Todd also contributed to the Super System, too, which is what changed my life. So that's also... But lots of people did, too. So right. I, I think you have a personal love for Todd. Which I, I do. I totally um, understand. And, 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 and I that chapter was great for me as well, too. So I have no problem with Todd. I just, you know, again, we're trying to choose between 10 worthy candidates. Yeah, yeah. So, I did thought it was interesting, and not to prolong this any, any more than it needs to, but you know, you look at the criteria they put on here for their vote, you know, for the people who are voting, and you know, it said a player must have played poker against acknowledged top competition. Uh, so this is the playing ability one. Right, right. Uh, has to be forty years old. So that played for high stakes, uh, played consistently well, gaining the respect of peers, which is hilarious. Um, stood the test of time, which some of these guys, you know. I don't know how long time is when consider you know Chris's moneymaker's only been playing since 2003, so or when Rounders came out in the 90s or whatever. But still, I mean, it's not really. 13, but 14. so then you you erase all that with the next one. It says or for non-players. So is he considered a non-player? Because yeah, I, that's an interesting um, filter to put on him because um, I think on his playing ability alone, he he, he doesn't get in. He has a world championship, but. That's it. It's depressive, right? Yeah. So I think his path to the Hall of Fame is what he's done for the game. And again, I think that's a tough path if, if you look at the way I'm looking at it. Right, because of, of the, so. like you said, the win, not the person. Right. Um, I think, in, in, <clears throat> again, in a, a world where we could have more than two, I, I, I can't imagine a Hall of Fame that doesn't have Chris Moneymaker in it. So I would imagine at some point that's going to happen. But, you know, when we can only put two in a year, yeah. I think it's got to be a little stricter. I mean, without Moneymaker's accomplishment, again, I'll, I'll go back to your wording, we don't even have a magazine or a show. Very true. We don't. We just don't. And, and you know, you played poker before that, but I didn't. I don't get together with you, and we don't have this podcast over it. You know, there, there just doesn't happen. And then, that, so, a lot of things, and, and people aren't listening to us talk about this show. There are no, half these businesses that are out there in, in the poker world are not there, if not more than half, probably 90% of them. 
you know. And so, but it's funny they say for non-players contributed to the overall growth. Well, he contributed to overall growth, you know, and success of the game of poker. And it says with indelible, positive, and lasting results. Well, clearly that's what he did. But he's also a player, so it's like, can he go in for that? Because they do that too. They go, people will do that. They go in for their, you know, their contributions, even though they were a player, like in baseball, you know, well, or announcers. Or, go both ways. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, it's time for Annie updates. The Annie Up Poker Tour will be returning to Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi with a nine-event series that runs October 28th to November 9th and ends with an $800 buy-in, 100K guarantee main event, the winner of which will appear on the cover of Annie Up Magazine. For all the details, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Pearl River. Scarlet Pearl Casino Resort, the newest casino in Biloxi, Mississippi, or the Biloxi, Mississippi area, will award five Annie Up Poker Cruise packages for our November 14th sailing out of Tampa, Florida, in three drawings, October 7th to the 9th, players can earn entries in, uh, with every hour of cash game play, every full house they get, and by entering Big Slick's 30K Poker Open. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And join AnnieUpPokerRoom.com and complete for, uh, compete for weekly... Complete, uh, complete the form. <laughs> uh, and compete for weekly cash uh, in the weekly winners tournaments. AnnieUpPokerRoom.com costs fourteen ninety five a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This comes from Everett. So I noticed during a session at the local casino what appeared to be two of the players using some hand gestures. It only happened once or twice, but made me wonder how to handle such a situation. These two are regulars that are here every day. Do I alert the eye in the sky so they can be watched? I wouldn't go to the manager of the room due to the pair having a relationship with the room. I would go straight to security and ask them to watch the table. I wonder how closely they watch the tables when there is not an actual situation. Also, would I want to get two regulars barred from the room? It would mean taking money out of this particular room. Very interesting. Yeah, so what I told Everett is um, you, you got to tell the floor of the manager. I understand his concern about the, they may not want to do anything because they know these players, but any floor manager of any acceptable reputation is going to take um, a question, and I'm going to say this rises to the level of allegation, but a question of impropriety seriously, right? Right. So you think you have to go to them. If you just go to security, security is just going to go back to the poker manager and say, hey, this player said something. And then, so I, you're just cutting out the middleman here by going straight straight to the, um, the floor. Um, I, I clearly would do that privately. I wouldn't make a big deal of it at the table. Um, I would step away and, you know, you know, go to a floor or a brush or whoever and, and just point it out. And I would also be very clear and professional about it and say, again, I'm not accusing anyone. It just, it looks odd. And can you watch it and let me know whether you think it's odd or two? And if it's not, then it's not, you know, it's quite possible that he's misreading um, what he's seeing and thinking there's something there. There's not. So the last thing you want to do is uh, blatantly accuse um, two players of cheating. Um, but that's how I'd handle it, I think. I wouldn't worry about um, players getting barred from the room. You know, I've, again, any poker room manager of decent reputation has no problem um, banning their very best player from the room if something's going wrong. 
because that's going to cause some bigger problems later on. And I actually know a room here in Florida, 60 tables, that they did kick out one of their best players permanently. So it does happen. Um, again, because if you're running a, a legit uh, clean room, you don't want bad people in there no matter how much business they give you. So I wouldn't worry about that either. This is a sad day. It is. I, I could not agree with you more <laughs> on your answer. I'd just like to add that when his last line of the email to us was, it would mean taking money out of this particular room. But think about all of the protection. If you're correct, if you're right, and this, these people get barred because they were actually giving hand signals and cheating or colluding, think about all the people you're protecting. And do they really want the, their money in the room knowing that their own money is being stolen from them? Or would you want less money in the pool knowing that you're on a level playing field? And that's the way you'd want it. You would never well, say... You could take it further and say, if you take it a long view of this, if that you might not be the only one noticing this, right? Right. So the sooner you get these people out of the room, if they are indeed colluding or cheating, the less likely other people are going to notice it and not care enough, as Everett does, to mention it to someone and just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go play somewhere else. I, I, so you end up actually taking money out of the room by not saying anything, potentially. Yep. And, you know, there are other more subtle ways for these people to cheat. And the, the fact that if these people are really doing hand gestures, one, they're just stupid. Because it's good. you can see that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the worst way of cheating, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the least effective way. I actually heard a conversation once of people describing how what they put their card protector on their cards right, right, where right. they put him tells their partner you know what kind of hand they have when they raise brief up or something and so they know they get out of the way or or what or what move to do to re-raise me now because i have you know and get this guy in the middle you know whatever so i mean th- those are more subtle things that you may not even be paying attention to these other things that aren't even subtle you have to call attention to that at least just to see what's going on um don't don't feel bad about getting players barred from a table from a room if they are cheating never feel bad about that Yep. I, I think this is all just in how you handle the situation. Yes. If you handle it well, nothing bad can happen. If you handle it poorly, a lot of bad things can happen. So, And if you do nothing, I think you're always going to worry whether you should have done something and it could be costing other people money. So, All right. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Sean. He says, we're in a 2-5 no-limit hold'em cash game uh, in a casino. On the turn, my opponent raises me, and I say call and shove out a stack of red chips. The dealer burns and places the river card on the board before reaching for the stack of fives. The dealer informs me I'm uh, short some chips, so I push another stack out to let him handle it. The villain knuckles the table a few times. I say, I check two. The dealer, after getting the money situation set, looks at both of us waiting to see who won. At this time, the villain says, all in. I say, you can't go all in. You just checked and I did too. He says, no, I didn't. Dealer says he didn't see the action. Someone who was across from the villain says he did check and he saw him. The floor is called, and the dealer tells him what he saw from his perspective. The, de- the person across from the villain tells the story just like I told it. At this time, everyone at the table starts to speak up and say he checked. 
The floor says that since more than two people saw the action, the check stands. Was this the correct way to handle things? What if it were only me voicing the problem? What, what would have happened? Elliot says, first things first, why did the dealer burn and turn the river when the bets had not been settled from the turn? Since it was apparent to the dealer and the players that the action was not over due to an all-in situation, why the rush to get the card on the table? What time was being saved? It appears as though the dealer was concerned with maximizing tips through brute force rather than dealing skill. By leaving the chips until the river was placed, he put himself in a spot where he wasn't able to observe a nonverbal action, thus rendering useless his high-speed routine. Once again, dealer training could be key to preventing so many issues. I've never been a fan of mobocracy. Mobocracy. <laughs> and I tend to be wary of this kind of assistance. That being said, if opinion is unanimous and not hostile, I will give it weight, but I'm still going to utilize the necessary resources. In a situation like this, with a disputed action being a manual check, I'm going to surveillance footage to verify what happened after the turn was placed. Sadly, this is one of those spots where the pot can't be put off to the side so the next hand can be dealt. If the check was confirmed by the video, I will make sure all players are informed of the responsibility to make their actions conspicuous, especially during busy moments at the table. If the check was non-existent, play continues with the all-in bet on the river. If the footage is inconclusive, then it is the players speaking up uh, that are providing the only useful information. The consensus would end up driving the outcome of the decision. Uh, the one thing I want to say is uh, I think he... Elliot might have misstepped a little at the beginning. He said, since it was apparent to the dealer and the players that the action was not over due to an all-in situation, why did he put the card on the table? That There was no all-in until yeah. after everything was done. Um, but I can see what he's saying. It, here's the deal. I'm hoping that these players come to a conclusion so you don't have to go check the eye in the sky and hold up my cash game for 25 minutes over we all know you checked, you know. <laughs> In that that kind of thing, and that, that if if you're the person who is trying to angle shoot this, you're just not making any friends here, and they're going to be gunning for you the rest of the time that you're there, and whenever they see you in the future, because you were being a Deutsche Bank when we all know you checked, and then you tried to angle shoot and go all in. Because all right, well, let me ask you this, because this is interesting. I think so. If, if you are that person, and you were in fact angle shooting, right? Yeah. There's no upside to you giving in, right? If it's going to go to the eye in the sky, you're rolling the dice that the eye in the sky is going to be able to determine that you actually did or not, right? Which I don't know how you can tell that from the eye in the sky. So why would you not want to stand your ground and then let the the floor end up being the final decision on? Well, you'd be surprised. The eye in the sky, they said he wrapped, he knuckled the thing a couple of times. Right, but you'd we're see all that. having this discussion on PokerRadius.com, home of the Andy Approved discussions on the internet, <laughs> uh, about what an appropriate check signal is. And obviously it's been a big debate at the Poker TDA Summit. Is it, you know, tapping your finger on your chest, on your Oh, nose, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, you know, even somebody said, hey, there needs to be a visual clue for the eye in the sky. And I'm like, I don't think there is. When you say check, there is, you know, <laughs> there doesn't have to be a visual clue for checking, right? Right. So I, what it would come down to, I guess, is, you know, what does knuckling look like? And, I, you know, I'll go further than that. I, the, the people in the eye of the sky are security. They're not poker experts, right? Right. So, I mean, they could tell the, the manager... I, now I don't know if the manager is looking at the at the film here or not, which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But if it's the poker manager looking at it, that's a different story. If it's just security radioing it down, oh, it looked like he knuckled the table, uh, you know. But if they don't know what that really means, 
how is that really helpful to the the person making the decision, right? Mm. I I trust the eye in the sky because they saved me from being SOL in the World <laughs> Series. Because I was SOL until they went up to the eye in the sky and said, "This guy's got sixteen hundred chips. Put him back on the table." Oh, uh, but this is kind of my problem with how how much you speak up to a dealer that's obviously not um, using proper dealer techniques, right? Right. I mean, we all, as Hilly said, a good dealer is not going to be putting that next card out until he or she has counted down all the chips and make sure the pot's right. That's why they say pot's right. Yeah, yeah. Tap the table and put the next thing down. So, um, you know, at, at one point do we have to speak up and say, whoa, hey, do you want to make sure that the bet that I just put in is correct? Because that sounds weird, right? Yeah. And now you're making the whole table think that maybe I didn't count out your own chips correctly, right? Yeah. Um, when you thought you did, so I don't, I don't really know what our hero here could have done to prevent that. It is unfortunate that the dealer caused this problem and allowed this angle shoot, and, and that is upsetting to me um, as a player. And I don't know the solution to that. Uh, I don't think we really could stop this from happening in this particular case. No, uh, just better training, better dealers, and and hope for the best when you get when you're playing. You get the best dealers you can. Hey, guess what? We get to complete O'Malley's move. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing that old, bastardized version of Omaha. Pot limit Omaha, high-low, eight-or-better split. We've been playing for a couple hours now, and have a pretty good feel for the table. We've got 240, up about 40. There are a few solid players and several Hold'em players playing any four cards. We are seven-handed. The blinds post, the under-the-gun calls, and we are in the MP with the Ace of Spades, Queen of Clubs, Jack of Spades, Deuce of Clubs. This is a good hand for PLO 8. We've got a suited Ace, we've got three Broadway cards, we are double-suited, and we've got a Deuce. Let's bump it. We make it $9 to go. The hijack, cutoff, button, small blind, and big blind all call. Oh, now I remember why I rarely raise at these types of PLO8 tables. The under the gun folds. The pot is about $45, and the flop is the king of spades, queen of spades, five of hearts. Before I can even celebrate my royal flush draw, the small blind leads out for pot. Who calls a raise preflop and then donk bets into four opponents in PLO 8? This guy is a converted Hold'em player and plays very aggressively, almost fearlessly. He started the hand with 200. Well, since I was going to bet 30, I guess I can call 45. I know calling is the worst plan in PLO 8. Everyone else thankfully folds. The pot is 135 and the turn is the 5 of clubs. The small blind announces all in, but after a count, it's determined that he still has about $10 left. The bet is pot, 135 So, are we drawing dead to the 10 of spades? What's the move? Alright, the problem here is that with the board pairing and no low possible, we really can't put much faith in a flush pulling this hand out for us, which means we are, as O'Malley says, drawing to just a royal flush. Our opponent had lots of chips behind. I might be tempted to see that river on the off chance a pedestrian flush is good enough or that lottery card, ten of spades, shows up. Uh, but our opponent only has ten bucks behind. Uh, so if the stars align, what's in the pot now is all we're getting. 
And to even have a chance at winning, we need to hit. It just seems like a very bad spot for us, even against an aggressive player. I'm folding. I'm folding. Like you said, there's just one card in the deck that can ensure us the nuts, and that's not smart 08 poker. I do, however, think I may have repotted it on the flop, but yeah. that's that's for another, another, uh, that's another argument. But here we go, part two. Hello again. In this game, as the old adage goes, you're either praying for the board to pair or you're praying for it not to. No matter how many mental gymnastics I do, I can't contort the logic enough to justify a call in this situation. It's true he may be playing some kind of ace-five, but it is entirely possible he has a king or a queen mixed in there somehow. We reluctantly fold. Our opponent grins, flashes a five, and then mucks. He had it. I think. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, Beware the paired board in Omaha. I hope to see you on the felt. Yeah, as Miley says, just uh, not enough mental contortions possible for a serious Omaha A player to end up making this call. I appreciate going through them and trying to find a way. Uh, but that's what separates the good OA players is when you've gone through all that and you decide, nah, it's, I'm grasping at straws here. And you can't grasp at straws in Omaha A. Yep, yep, good fold. All right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Send your situations or hands to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. Last week, uh, Vic G brought us another wonderful hand, and he had uh, two on the same file, so we're just going to keep rolling with our, head, our friend Vic G here. And he did apologize for messing up the order last time, which caused us some consternation. So I'm hopeful <laughs> that he had a little cup of coffee in between writing down the second hand here. And I still have that hand in my notes here from last week, so... <laughs> If I need to refer back to his betting $7 every time, yes, yes, yeah, yes. I have it here. So Gotcha. All, All right. right. All right. Well, good news for you. We are at the same table, and Yay. an orbiter two has passed. So if you remembered anything from last uh, week's hand, uh, it might help you with this week's hand. All right. Uh, he says, my 1,000 has the table covered, but I'm only now, even for the session, when this hand occurs. I'm under the gun with a Casenza. What's my <laughs> move with ace of spades, ten of diamonds? Uh, unless Vic G G is his middle name and his last name's Casenza, I advise him to fold. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I'm Chris Casenza. Um, all right. So we have uh, Ace Ten offsuit. Generally, if you're coming in under the gun, you, you want to come in for a raise. Some people like to limp, and then people want to speculate what kind of hand a limper does under the gun. Does he really have aces? Does he have a suited ace? A lot of people do that with a suited ace or connectors or something. Um, but I really, I looked on at ace 10 in a full ring 1-2 or 1-3 game, and I'm I'm basically letting it go, to be honest with you. I really am. I'm not I'm, letting it go. I am taking my lighter out and <laughs> it. I mean, I love the hand. Burn to his ashes and then blowing those ashes to the dealer. I love wow. I love that the hand's named after me for some weird reason, and people at Foxwoods even said my hand once, which was hilarious. Um, but it's not my hand, and it's not a good hand under the gun. So, but if we're going to play it, I at least want some deceptiveness. So I want to raise with it. Got to so, raise, right? So whatever whatever the standard raises this table, I don't want to make it seven like you did before, because with Ace Ten, I don't want people around. I want to be one on one and take down a smallish pot and move on. But um, I don't want to make it seven, so I would make it between ten and fifteen, depending on the temperature of the table. Temperature of the table. All right. So here's the: you definitely can't limp with this hand because what's go- what's going to happen? What, what are you going to accomplish limping here? Someone's going to raise at some point, and now you got to call that raise with a weak ace, right? 
And if it doesn't, then you really have no idea where you are in this hand, and you can be able to get a bunch of other aces as well too. Um, well, and if it's unless it's a blind to making that raise, you're out of position the rest of the hand too. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I am firmly in favor of, as I mentioned, folding, burning, stomping on, burying it under concrete. Um, but I'm going to guess that's not what Vic's going to do. So uh, since it's hand of the week, I will raise, and um, yeah, I'm going to make it a little bit bigger than I normally would. If I have to. Okay. Alright, Vic says the table continues to be passive, and I don't want to see a flop with six limpers, so I decided to put in a little raise at the end of the field. Wait for it! I make it seven dollars to go! Seven dollars! Glad to see he learned from five hands ago. Well, he did say he wanted to put in a little raise, so that's about as little a raise as you can put in. Um, I make it seven dollars to go, and only the cutoff and button call. He says the cutoff is not a very good player, very ABC, but likes to slow play a lot of hands. He won a nice pot when he got his pocket queens all in against pocket kings, only to flop a queen and turn another for quads. He sits with squiggly 400 bucks. The button is one of the older type players who, like many, buy in much too short for this game and sits with about 125. Okay. With 20 bucks in the pot, uh, with a rack and drop counted for. Huh? Break. <laughs> Uh, the dealer puts out a flop of ten of hearts, ten of clubs, six of spades. And our hero says, can you ever doubt the power of the Casenza? <laughs> Both players know with certainty that I'm going to see bet. so what's the move? Uh, well, there's really no danger of any draws getting there unless a gutter gets there. And even that, you know what I mean, that would complete straights for other people, but it could also create a boat for someone if a nine comes or something. So right now, you're clearly ahead unless somebody has 10-6 or 6-6. So I don't want to lose them, but I also took control of this hand, and it would seem weird to not bet now. I love this flop with this hand now because they are expecting you to continuation bet, and the fact that you just crushed it means that you can bet, and they're not going to give you credit, credit for that this sense. hand. Exactly. Right? They might still give you credit for a strong hand that they can't beat and still fold. They're not going to give you credit for having a 10 here. Certainly not an East 10, I don't. Right. So I absolutely am betting and uh, hope that uh, they see, quote, unquote, see through me and pay me off with it. The thing that they're so passive, uh, as he's mentioned twice now in two weeks, I, I don't know if doing the crazy Scott thing where why so much bet, you know, because, oh, he must be bluffing, he's betting so much, would work here. So I think you want to wait for that till yeah, later. I'd probably wait one street for it. Yeah. I'd put in my normal half pot here. It's 20 bucks. That's kind of, let's see, it's coming on race seven. Uh, like 12 or, yeah, 12 or 15, yeah. I'm thinking. So that's what I would bet, somewhere between 10 and 15 again, just because that seems to be the right amount. And it would seem like that's the bet someone would make who had ace-king who missed, someone who has nines, you know, or something, you know, whatever. But somebody who could be intimidated by this flop would still make that because they feel obligated to see bet. So that's what I'm betting. And then if we get a weak t- turn card, then I think I'm raising that bet a little bit. Right. And acting like I'm scared and want to shut it down. Right. All right. Uh, Hero bets 10 bucks, So that's half the pot. Yeah, that's about right. Um, and he says, it's half the pot, but two red ships doesn't look that threatening. If they put me on an overpair and saw a sheep flop with a random 10, then they're crushed. They cut off min races to 20, and the button folds. And before we get back to action on this, I like that uh, it, this is an interesting point that I think people miss is the visual part of poker, right? That even though it's ten, you put two red ships out. I mean, he had pro- he could have had the option of putting out uh, ten white ships if he wanted to, 
or five white ships and a red, but he purposely put out two red ships. Not only because it was easier, but because it looked less threatening. I like it. Because he doesn't subscribe to the Scott Long online betting <laughs> school. Well, because the Scott Long online betting is is designed to make your bet look bigger than it. Exactly. It's the exact opposite. He, right. he Here, doesn't he subscribe to yours. Smaller. <laughs> exactly. Right. He's the, so it's a different story. He's the anti-Scott. <laughs> well, no, it's the same thing, just done in a different application. Um... So we're right, min-raised. Yeah. Action's back on us. We have one opponent who min-raised us to 20. Well, let's let's get cute and min-raise again. Because oh, I, I think if if the guy is doing that to see what you really have, and he's hoping you have, like, aces, and he's flopped a 10, he wants that. He wants you to go shoving on him. But if you min-raise back, then he might be like, Oh, so you really think you're better than me? And then he shoves on you, and then you, you know what I mean? So th- there's this sort of cat and mouse game now. I think that's going on. You know, would he really min raise with pocket sixes? No way. He doesn't want to lose you. You're the one who took control of the hand. He, you're the one that you know is leading the action here. He wouldn't want to scare you away. So I think he's min raising maybe with a ten, maybe with a draw, which is a bad draw, or maybe with a six to see if you're really for real. Or a pair over sixes like sevens or eights or something. So, I I would get cute. I'm not gonna just call. I, I can see what you might say. You might say call and then check the turn and see him bet you know into you and then you re-raise him there. But I like the little cat and mouse thing. It's kind of funny. You make it ten. I'll make it ten. See what you know. You know just just to see what kind of attitude this guy has. Especially if he's passive. If he's passive and he's min raising, there's a lot that make you read into that. If he's a passive player, could be that he's so passive that he doesn't know how much to make it when he wants to raise. It could be that he's so passive that he doesn't want to bet too much because he he's scared to lose. You know what I mean? There's a lot of reasons why he do, could be doing this. So if we just min-raise him back, it could be kind of a, hey, I don't really know what your raise means, so I'm going to do it to you and see how you like it kind of thing. So I may min-raise back just for fun and make it 30. You know, not, you know, 20, 20, 10 more on top of his 20. Uh, I'm really conflicted here because uh, for playing out the way my strategy was here to uh, make them think that it was just a standard C-bet and we didn't hit our hand as hard as we did, I think the proper play is just to call here and make it say, hey, Aaron, we'll cautious now. You obviously have a hand. I don't, but we'll see what happens, even though we have, you know, the second best hand here, right? Um but my problem with that is is that you're right. I think once you do that, you have to check the turn. And when you check the turn, you risk him checking behind and giving him a free card. Right. Um, or at nothing else, you're not putting any more money in on what street, and now you're going to have to get some money in on the, on the river, and it's tougher to get that money in when the pot now is only 50, 60 bucks at that point. Or... You're going to have to bet into him again on the turn, which also defeats the whole purpose of the story that we're trying to say, right? Unless, depending on what the card is, I right. guess maybe at that point you're trying to sell a story that that card helps you. Um, but you can't count on that, I think. So, Especially if he has a six, because he just has a naked six and a better card comes, now you've scared the hell out of him. Right, right, right. So I agree with you. If we get the distinct impression that this guy wants to put more money in the pot than he did... Like in other words, this guy is just trying to really just goad us along, and you think he's gonna bet just by the just by the feeling you're getting by, you know what he's emitting from his presence or whatever the hell you want to say. If I feel like this guy is gonna bet, then I'll call like you said and check, knowing that it looks exactly like it's supposed to look. That we were impish, made the call, 
and now it's like, all right, I check to you. Because most of the time in the game, when that happens, you are trying to hit that card in the turn, and then when you don't hit the card in the turn, you check, he bets, and you fold. And that's generally how poker goes. So that's what you're hoping to happen. But if this guy is just really passive and clueless, and he may not bet because now he's scared that you called his 10, thinking that you may have a 10, he may check, like you said, and then he gets there on the river if he was doing some sort of weird draw thing. So I agree with you here. If if we get that impression that he definitely would bet the turn. If he wouldn't, then I like my little cat and game mouse. Yeah, I guess it's so the cat and, flip side is... Cat and mouse game. <laughs> Sorry, I said cat and game mouse. <laughs> uh, the flip side is that, um, you know, it, he's described as a not a very good player, very ABC, but likes to slow play a lot of hands. Obviously, if he's raising here, he's not slow playing something, right? So... But uh, ABC, he very well could have a 10 here, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't know that he should be raising more than 10 bucks. Um, and if that's the case, I'm worried that, that he's got two chances to catch up to me. I mean, I, I don't think he has 10-6 right now. So um, he could have ace-10 have the same hand we have. But he could have king-10, queen-10, jack-10, something like that. And now I'd be worried that the, whatever the next two cards are, that they possibly could be the card that he needs to catch up to us, right? Um, so I might be inclined, because he's a tight player here and he's raised, to raise. Yeah. And I might not do the the cat and game mouse <laughs> <laughs> that you're advocating. I might make it a little bit bigger just to see if I can get him to commit here. Yeah, because then... But I'm not worried. He's going to really, think that you... I'm worried about pocket sixes. And, or, yeah, and he's hoping that you do have something over the tens that are repaired. So that he can bet into you now, big time, and say, I got three tens, you only have aces, and then boom, you turn over ace ten, and he's drawn to the other card in his hand. And here's so. the other thing is, he's described as likes to slow play a lot of hands, so why would he raise here with three tens. a full house? Yeah, or a full I mean, house. A full house is what I'm worried about. Yeah. It's the only thing I'm worried about, because, you know, unless he has ten six, which doesn't make sense. So, any other ten in his hand, I'm not worried about right now. I'm more worried about the next two cards. So, um, I, I think this is an opportunity for us to get more money in. So, Doing all that thought process, which I would never be able to do at the table, uh, I'm going to raise this to 40-ish or something and see if I can get him to commit here. Okay. So we're both raising. It's just the amount we've, we didn't change on. But okay, good. But I could defend the, you know, oh, okay, I'll see one more card kind of call. Wink, yep. wink, wink. Um, if you really do think that this guy is going to bet. Yep. yep. It's tough for me to put that, that down there. So. I agree. All right. Uh, let's see, action's back on us. I feel like this is asking Doyle Brunson how to play 10-deuce. What's the move, Chris? <laughs> says, if the villain thinks I'm C-betting with air, then he's testing me with this min-raise in position. I haven't seen him do this, at least not that I could tell. He could have that 10, and I doubt he'd come in with 10-6 offsuit. He could uh, have an overpair that he was trying to trap me with, or maybe even pocket sixes. Any smaller pair is also a possibility. I think three bending any significant amount might scare away these smaller pairs. If he does have the case 10, he's not going anywhere on later streets with this dry flop. I decide to just call the 10. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of, and I, sometimes I feel like we should hear what he has to say before we talk because sometimes we're just being redundant by. You know, what I mean, because we're very yeah, similar in our like bettings. We're, we're using, I know, it's not like we're using his stuff, but at the same time, I'm just thinking we should be reacting to what he said but yeah i agree i i if i think this guy is going to bet the turn 100 percent, i'm gonna just call his bet and then check to him um and hope that the card that comes is not scary to him which i don't know what would be if he has a 10 in his hand but i'm just hoping that it's a card that doesn't scare him somehow and then he does bet 
All right, but if you if you put them on these various hands that Vic is talking about, I'm I'm more scared of cards coming now, right? Yeah. He has a smaller pair, so he has eights or nines. What what do we do with an eight or nine come? We don't we can't obviously put them on that specific hand, right? Right. But if that's one of the ranges we have on now, we got to be concerned that he caught up to us, right? Yeah. Or if a king and a queen comes, right? Then he's afraid. Yeah. And then you lose him. So yeah, so I, I like I'm getting it in afraid. now. I've decided now that I, I really like the the raising that we came up with rather than the calling, and not. And then the other thing too is I don't know where Vic is going with this now. Is he going to bet into him on the turn regardless of what comes, or is he going to check and then, as we mentioned, hope that there's a bet? Right. And so I think there's a lot more danger in the way that Vic's playing this now. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. Okay. With 57 in the pot, the turn is the seven of hearts, making the board ten of hearts, ten of clubs, six of spades, seven of hearts. Completing the gut shot, straight draw, back to where hearts is also a possibility. Action uh, is on us, but before we can act, the villain checks out a turn. Holy cow. That's odd. He's not that tricky to check on purpose. What's the move? Well, now we have to bet, because if we check, his check stands. Right. And we don't want that. We want money on the street. We want. We don't want him to catch up to it. And we don't want to catch up to it, especially now if he has something like 8-6, you know, or something weird or... I, I nine ten. Um, now we want to bet. We want to bet because he showed weakness, and it could also be like, hey, he checked out a turn. Now I know he was weak. I'm going to bet, and you're stealing, and he thinks you're bluffing too. It's another reason to this bet is here. Where we go for my big bet, I think now. Yeah, now maybe we make it a good. And I'm going to do a little Hollywooding too, and I'm like, I'm going to kind of laugh a little bit that I realized he checked out a turn, and then I'm going to like. Uh, I'm going to put that 50 bucks or so in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, almost if pot size bet or even a pot size bet might be called for now just because he showed weakness. You're only going to get one bet out of him on the street and on the last street anyway if you're lucky now because he saw you call and got nervous. You're probably only going to get that bet if he hits too, which is not good for us. Or he filled up though. That's the only thing I'm worried about is he has the sevens and he checked out a turn because he got nervous thinking, yeah, that's true. I made a full house, so let me let him bet. And then realizing he was betting out a turn. That's the only thing that makes me nervous is that he filled up here. Um, but I'm still going to make that bet. He, and it's, if that's it's a, the case and he raises us here, I mean, it's possible he could do that with King-10 and think that he's good, right? Yeah. But it also is probably a, a signifying to us that he actually did hit that 7. But even 10-7 doesn't make sense here either. So I think it's more likely if he's doing that because he's nervous, it's because he has pocket 7s and now just spoke it. Yeah. But even that, we it's still have outs. Range, so. We still have outs. We have another 10, and we have an ace. So, right. um, Actually, we even have more outs, because we have, we could have a 6 could come. We got 10s full of 6s versus a 7s full of 10s. So we have a lot more outs than we think, even if we're wrong. So I'm I'm going to bet here. Like yeah, you said, I'm going to bet big. Definitely betting big. 50 bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, all right. Uh, here's a since he checked out a turn, he's held to that action if I check. So we're not checking. Good job, Bit. Uh, we need to get value on the street. I make a show of noting that he checked after raising me on the previous street, clearing the way for my bet. I bet 20, and he just calls. So he did everything we said we'd do, but I think he lost some value there. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. We'll see how it happens. Yeah. Um, all right, with 97 in the pot, dealer puts out the king of spades, completing a board of 10 of hearts, 10 of clubs, 6 of spades, 7 of hearts, king of spades. The villain's men raised on the flop and check call and turn has me confused. Was he just playing back at a perceived seabed on the flop? And he picked up some draw on the turn and just called. The river missed any draw. This smells like one of those way ahead, way behind situations. Pocket kings immediately comes to mind to join the pocket sixes I've already previously considered. 
I don't think there's any way he's got the straight. With all that in mind, what's the move? Uh, wouldn't Pocket Kings have re-raised? I realize he's passive in ABC, but ABC re-raises Kings pre-flop. Yeah, I, I'm going to put a little lower um, possibility on that than Vic is. And I, I already dis, um, discounted the Pocket Sixes because I don't think... Right, he doesn't bet on that turn It just flop. doesn't make sense to me that either. So I think really the only thing I'm worried about now is King-10, which is very likely, I think, for a player like this in the cutoff. Or Pocket 7s. Or pocket sevens, which is also very likely. Now, if he had three tens, why would he have checked that turn? Even though he, even though he checked it out of turn, that's, why would... that, that's a very good point too. So then that makes that a little less likely too. So um, I, I think we're good here. So um, I'm going to bet we, fifty again. Yeah, we haven't put much money in the pot this time, so now we got to get paid off. And pot's up ninety-seven, so fifty is half the pot. That's that, I think that's what I'm doing. Is this the guy that started with like a hundred and twenty? You said. Uh no, that was the other player. He, All right, so this guy has a lot. Then. Has squiggly four hundred. All right, so we could we could lose a decent chunk here if we're wrong, but I'm still going to bet fifty. Squiggly four hundred. Yeah. Um. All right. Our hero says I want some value out of this hand, especially since smaller tens are well within his range. If he's got the case ten, it'll be hard for him to put me on a better hand. Pocket kings and sixes still worry me, but we can't go looking for monsters under the bed. I make a small value bet of twenty five dollars. The villain thinks for a bit before raising the 55. It's 30 hours more for us to call. What kind of move is this, and what do we do with the Casenza now? <laughs> well, um, the guy's got 400 in front of him. I'm happy with the size of this pot right now. If I'm positive I haven't beat, of course I raise, but there's no way to be positive. I still think of the sevens. I can't let go of that sevens checking right away because you're like, well, I just filled up, and he bet the last person to put chips in was Vic. Even though he didn't make the last bet, it that could have thrown him off too. So I'm just what what could he possibly be raising with unless he has King Ten or Seven Seven? If he had King Ten, I think he would have bet the turn and not checked it because he didn't fill up on the turn. Um, so you know I don't think he, but he checked out a turn, but I just I just don't know what to believe about that check. And if, since he's raising us, he could have King Ten, he could have Seven Seven. Both those hands. Maybe could have played it this way, depending on how you interpret that check out of turn. So I'm just going to call and be happy with this, you know, what wants to be a $200 pot now and getting lucky with the Casenza. Yeah, it's uh, our opponent's play is really, really confusing, so I'm going to join the chorus on that. So I guess, in hindsight, the way Vic played it is only going to cost us 5 bucks more than what we would have started this river with and had the player raised us on the 50 we would be facing a much bigger bet now that potentially could be bad or potentially could be good. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't want to open up the betting to somebody shoving 400 in front of me and 300 left or whatever and, and then now so being... At this point, if we're behind, I'm happy with how Vic played it because it's only going to cost me 55, where had we played it our way, it probably was going to cost us 100. Right. But I still think we're ahead, so... Um, but I'm not confident enough to raise here, so... Right, if we call, it cost us 75 because we were going to bet a ton on the turn more than him. You only bet 20. Right, right. And then he bet, if he calls us, it's 55. So it'd be 75 instead of what would make us, we were going to bet like 100 or so, so total. So we're saving 25 bucks. All right. Uh, Vic says, I think we're ahead. Uh, he could put us on, uh, how can he put us on ace 10? Uh, but this guy doesn't seem to bluff. If he rivered a full house or flopped a set, then so be it. Maybe he's got king 10, but the suits out there would have to be off suit. And I don't think he'd call even a $5 raise pre-flop in the cutoff with that hand. It's been one of those nights. 
Still, I think we're beating Smaller 10. I three bet raising 100 on top. I'm looking for a snap call, and that's exactly what I get. If he had a boat he would have raised, he quickly tabled Jack 10, and we scooped the pot. Nice. wondering if I should have raised more. That's no, that's yeah, that's the right bet, I think. If if you're you're you agree you're ahead. That's a ballsy bet though. That that pocket sevens thing really scared me because let's just quickly go back to that. If you raised with pocket seven if you raised and he, he would call with pocket sevens. If the flop of ten ten six comes and he doesn't believe you, a min raise over those sixes, he's got a pair over the six, would be something he could do. He could check the turn when he sees that seven right away and fills up. And then on the river, we bet into him, and he raises us again. I mean, that, that reads like pocket sevens. It's a possible scenario. Pocket sevens has us beat there. And I, I believe the jack-10 easily, and jack-10 probably would have played it that way too. But it's weird that he min-raised with the jack-10 after the flop to me. Um, but that's just me. I I, I I agree here, though. I mean, well, I think he, the weirdest a, thing was the check on the turn, especially out of position. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to check that, that 10 there? I mean, you got all kinds of trouble now. I really think he was confused that he he thought he was betting first because Vic had put uh, in money last or something. He was confused and regretted yeah. that check and then um, was happy to see us bet. Of course, in the end, he wasn't. But uh, right, right. very interesting hand. Hmm. All right. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.